How's everybody doing? Good? So, um, many of you know I played uh, baseball through college, and, and if you want to be a semi-decent uh, hitter, you've got to learn how to hit a curveball, right? And it's a little tricky of a pitch, and so life uh, sometimes throws you a curveball, and this morning we're getting thrown a curveball. Um, Pastor Dave's supposed to be preaching, and he's not, ooh, excuse me, he's not here. Um, let, me, um, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, one of the great things about having a couple old guys like me and Pastor Dave is, you know, we're supposed to be full of wisdom the older we get. And I'll just point out that he's 10 years wiser than me. Um, but we're also not bulletproof, perhaps, like we once were. So he texted me at 4.30 this morning, uh, not doing really well. We reconvened an hour later. We said we'd reconnect around 5.30, and we did so, and he's in the, uh, in the hospital. So um, he's got some stuff going on. Uh, just keep him in your prayers, if you would. Um, we're supposed to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Dave preached that last night. I had a wedding last night in Apple Valley. Ironically, we were going to spend the night, decided to just come home, and uh, the Lord knew uh, about all that, right? Uh, I checked in with Pastor Dave on the ride home. He said everything went great, but uh, he is indeed not here. Um, I can't prep a message in two hours. Uh, I wished I could, (laughs) trust me. It might seem like I do, but I don't. Thanks for laughing. That's great. So um, I, I was fortunately had one from a couple of years ago. I preached at a friend of mine's church that his church is in Duarte and uh, out of James chapter one, the first four verses, which is uh, on trials, ironically. Right. Um, so I was able to, you know, blow the dust off of that. It's funny, you know, you read a message you preached a couple of years ago and it's like, I, I wonder what I meant by that. I'm sure it was profound three years ago. Most of it was intact. The rest of it, you just kind of scratch your head and go, yeah, I'm sure it was brilliant at the moment, but not so much today. But um, it's a good word. Um, it seemed to preach well at 9 a.m. and hopefully it'll do the same at the 11 a.m. And if it doesn't, I'm blaming it all on you. Um, that was a joke. So... <laughs> What I would like to do, in all seriousness, I'd love to ask Bruce and Tony Cook, Bruce, is, uh, to come up and pray for our beloved pastor, Pastor Dave, before we get started. Um, so Bruce and Tony, if you can come up, I'd appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. Let's all stand together, please. Heavenly Father, we, we humbly come to you this morning, Lord, and we, we lift up our brother, our beloved Pastor Dave. Father, we just pray for your touching, healing hand on him, Lord. We thank you so much that that we can come to you in times of, of trials, Lord. And Lord, we you know how much we love him, but you love him so much more, Father. So we just ask for wisdom and guidance for the people that are tending to him this morning, Lord. And we just pray now, Lord, that you would just minister to his family, Lord, give him strength, Lord, and fill him with your spirit. And Father, we, we just thank you that that you will minister to us, Lord, in our times of needs, Father. And Lord, for we know we know that all things are working together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. We thank you for your promises and that we can come together as a family of God, Lord, and intercede for our brother. We thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for doing that. Okay. Let me just make sure we've got all that. Oh, I did want to mention. So because Pastor Dave did actually get to preach last night, we've got that recorded, fortunately, so that will be posted on the website. So 
um, listen to that. I'm going to do the same, see where he picked off, because then I'll pick up from there, um, starting in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5 next week. So if you get a chance, go on the website and uh, yeah, blow, blow, that, uh, blow that sermon up and listen to it and, and download it, whatever. That would be really helpful. Um, yeah, and please keep Pastor Dave in your prayers. Okay, we good? All right, turn with me to James chapter 1. James, as I like to say, is tucked in back there behind Hebrews towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to read those four verses, James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to give you a couple stories or illustrations, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. James chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 4. Many of us know these verses, many of us uh, are fond of them, many of us don't like them, and it's understandable why. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in no thing, nothing. First story. This guy writes, When I was a distance runner in college, our coach did all within his power to impress uh, upon us or impress us with the importance of recognizing one's own pace. Which makes sense, right? The pace that you need to run. Life's like that. Sometimes we would run with a stopwatch. Sometimes we would be asked to guess the pace of a teammate. And after months of training and experience, it's amazing how one learns one's pace. Good runners do not worry about the last lap. They concentrate on the challenge of the moment. Life is like a foot race. It requires stamina and a sense of timing. The rhythm of joy and sorrow, thrust and retardation, working and waiting, eating and sleeping, all must be carefully calibrated or we lose that delicate balance so necessary in developing patience, courage, and strength. What a good word. Second story or illustration. Trouble and pain are relentlessly intertwined. Overcoming or breaking a pain barrier is one of the secrets of victorious living. It is estimated that one of every 400,000, one in 400,000 babies born will have a rare genetic disease called dysentonomia. I don't know how to say it. Dysentonomia. Victims are unable, if you have this rare disease, they're unable to feel pain. Interesting disease, and they often, almost always, die early. Persons, athletes in particular, have their careers altered because they take drugs to dull the pain rather than discovering and treating the source of the real issue. Pain is not God's way of punishing people, but rather His way of warning persons that something is wrong physically, mentally, or spiritually. Even Jesus did not shy away from difficulties as is recorded in John 12:27 and 28. He says, "Now is my soul troubled," Jesus writes. "And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour." Let's pray. 
Lord, indeed, we lift up our dear brother, Pastor Dave, to you. Lord, you tell us to be thankful in all seasons. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you for the love you have for Dave and for Joni and for his children and his grandchildren. We thank you for the effective ministry you've given him. And, Lord, we just thank you that your hand is upon him as we speak and we lift him up to you. Lord, have your way with us this morning. Help us, Lord, to trust you with any barriers that you desire to remove so that we can hear you more. In your name we pray. And everybody said. All right. So... This might seem a little bit silly, but bear with me. Who really likes, uh, like, sandwiches? Like, I'm a sandwich guy, right? Like, I'm a Jimmy John sandwich guy, right? A witch witch guy. I do Subway, you know. Subway's fine. Who likes a really nice sandwich? Raise your hand if you like a nice sandwich. Okay, keep your hand up if you want to share your perfect sandwich with (laughs) with the rest of us. Avery, thank you. Oh, you're willing to. Avery? Huh? You You like them all. Help me describe your perfect sandwich, Avery. I mean, I need specifics, man. Start with the bread. Your wife's got to be making it. The perfect sandwich is one that you don't make. Wow, man, if I had my wallet right now, dude, that's very, very smart. Wow, wow. That's the low-lying fruit right there. Smart man. That's enough, Avery. You've said enough. All right, and we need your sandwich, Avery. What's the perfect sandwich? Layla's making your perfect sandwich. What, what does that look like? <laughs> what kind of bread, Avery? Wheat bread. What kind of meat? Roast beef. Yeah, yeah, now we're talking. What kind of cheese, Avery? Swiss, yes, perfect. Mayonnaise, me, I'm a mayonnaise guy, yeah. What kind of lettuce? Oh, there are. Oh, there are. And it can make or break a sandwich. Maybe not your sandwich. All right, so lettuce isn't that important to you. It's very important to me. Right, some tomatoes, avocado, pickles. Yeah, yes, yeah, thanks for reminding you, right? You get the point, right? Life's kind of like that perfect sandwich, right? The Lord knows in each and every one of our lives exactly what we need, the the amount, how to build that sandwich. In your case, let Layla build it. Very wise, right? It's not just the components. It's the right amount, the layout. I get a little uptight when I go to Subway and they're making my sandwich and it's like, no, move the cheese a little that way. Right? They two pieces of cheese and they overlap it and this end's got nothing and that end's got nothing. I got double cheese in the middle. It's like, I didn't, I didn't ask for double cheese and I don't know how to be pastoral at Subway when I'm upset. So I just don't say anything. Because I don't know how to be that guy. So I just, oh, that's perfect, thank you. And then I tear it apart and I rebuild it and I'm all... And then I'm very unpastoral, but I, at least I'm alone. <laughs> in my home growing up, my two girls... If my wife made him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it would not be eaten. I'm the king of PBJ. I make the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So they say, no, mom, dad has to make it. Right? There's just a certain way. Anyway, what's the point? Our lives are like that. The Lord knows best which components to build into our lives, how much of each, what not to include, and how to build it. Those are all important things, and he knows. Let's read again James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes that are scattered or dispersed abroad. 
greetings. Church, he says, church, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What a great word. Great finish. Rough start, but great finish. We all like verse 4. We just don't like a whole lot that comes before verse 4, do we? Here's the big idea of this morning's message. The big idea is this. Spiritual maturity, we're here to grow spiritually, right? Do we have that up? Yes? Do we have anybody back there? No? There we go. We're good. Sorry, I can't see behind the screens. Yes, so spiritual maturity is surrendering to God because I trust in Him. Spiritual maturity is surrendering to God because I trust in Him. Our lives are alive of, are, are lives of surrender. It's hard to surrender. We hold on to things so desperately but our maturity rests in our ability to surrender to the Lord. Amen? The whole concept of spiritual maturity, in my opinion, in verses 2, 3, and 4, hinge for me. They hinge on three words. There's a word in verse 2, there's a word in verse 3, and there's a word in verse 4. All of this hinges upon, in my opinion, okay? One word in each verse. And then we're going to go about them in reverse order. We're going to look at verse 4 first, then we're going to look at verse 3, then we're going to look at verse 2. Okay? Verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect results, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I know there's no way for you to know, but what do you think I think is the key word in verse 4? Somebody said it already. Let. Let. I think the key word in verse 4 is let. What does this address? We either let God do something or we don't let God do something. That's what that verse says. Let that happen. Or you can choose not to let it happen. That addresses our what? It starts with a W. Our will. We either will let God do something or we will not let God do something. Make sense? So the main objective in verse 4 in order for us to surrender to be spiritually mature, right? Spiritually mature is surrendering to God because I trust Him. And so the main objective in verse 4 is we need a surrendered will, right? Think that's on the screen? We got, we're good? Yeah, yeah, there we go. We need a surrendered will. We need a surrendered will in verse 4. So to have a surrendered life, the first thing we're going to talk about is a surrendered will. We good with that? We know in, in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. God's wills to be done, not ours. And so we have to let God have His way so that His will is done and not ours. According to this verse, God cannot bring spiritual maturity into our lives unless we let Him. Right? Let it happen. And we fight it. And we fight God. And we fight God. And we fight God. And God says, let it happen. Let it have its perfect result. He cannot build our character without our cooperation and consent. God cannot build our character without our cooperation and without our consent. Wow. God is always at work. Every day. All day. God is always at work. All day, every day. All day, every day. He works for us, for our salvation. He works in us, which is called our sanctification or our perfection, so that He can work through us, through our service and our good works to Him and to His church and to other people. Right? God works for us for our salvation. He works in us for our sanctification so that He can work through us for our works of service to Him and to others. 
He must work in us, building our character before and as He calls us into His service. He must work in us, building us before and as He calls us to His service. Consider this. God spent 25 years working in Abraham before He gave him Isaac, His promised son, way past His ability to bear children. He spent about 15 years working in Joseph before Joseph was empowered in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh in command and power. And he spent about 80 years preparing Moses for 40 years of service. God works on us and works on us and works on us if we let him so that he can use us. One of the difficult stages of raising children and God raising us as his children is something called the weaning process, right? W-E-A-N-I-N-G, weaning, to wean somebody off of something because it's no longer time to be, you know, to have a pacifier or a blankie. I can remember weaning Chelsea off her blankie. It was like, it was just so painful, but it had to happen, right? And sometimes God weans and he takes things away. Because he knows how to build that perfect sandwich within each and every one of us. The weaning process is, is really, really tough. But the mature person, when God does that, doesn't argue with God, doesn't resist God and or his will. Right? We don't argue and resist God. We allow God to do it because we say he knows what's best for me. And so as he removes and as he weans, we allow it to happen. That's verse 2. Verse 3, let's read verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. What do you think my key word is there in verse 3? Knowing. Wow, you guys are sharp. The 9 o'clock was a little bit shy. You guys are on it. The main objective in this verse is we need a surrendered heart and mind. We need a surrendered heart and mind. What James is saying is, you can let God have His way. Let it happen because you know You know something. When we know certain things, that knowledge can drive our behavior, right? So because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let it happen. We have to surrender our hearts and our minds so that we can know. Because if we know, then we can let. We only let when we know something. This is not completely blind faith. I mean, there's faith where, I get we don't understand how everything works, but there's a lot that we know. So we're not operating completely blindly. We know that this is good for us. And that's what James says. That we can know these things. How do we primarily surrender our hearts and our minds? The Word of God is one of them, clearly. I've got to surrender my mind, my way of thinking, to the Lord's way of thinking, to the things that He recorded for us. Here's how you live faithfully to me. Here's how you mature. Read, know my Word. So that's one way we surrender our hearts and our minds. This is in God's Word. Clearly another way is in prayer. And if you can get on your knees to pray, that's even better. Because it just says that God's bigger than I am. You're bowing down to the creator of the universe, universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the guy that knows it all, has it all figured out. And so when you can you know, drop to your knees, it just says, I get it. I'm just little old me and you're big old you. And that's another way we surrender our hearts and our minds so that we can let him do what he wants to do in our lives. And then, of course, the power of the Holy Spirit to say, Spirit, empower me. God's not going to ask us to do or expect us to do anything that he won't empower us to do. But that's why His Holy Spirit's there. He's our comforter, our helper, our come-alongsider to allow us to get things done the way God wants things done. Amen? James, after all, is writing to Christians who already know the basics of their Christianity. 
they already know the basics of their faith. That's not the issue. His purpose is to bring their conduct in line with their beliefs. That makes sense, right? If my conduct as a, as a pastor of this church is not in line with my beliefs, I've lost my audience, haven't I? Something doesn't make sense. There's 108 verses in the book of James, and 54 of them, exactly half, are what we call imperatives. Do this, don't do that, live this way, think that way, you should be doing... It's like very specific, like your behavior, church, is not matching what you claim to believe. And so there's 54 out of 108 verses are imperatives. Interesting. It's a very practical book. Some people like it for that reason, some people don't like it for that reason. So he's trying to uh, align their conduct with their beliefs. Perhaps the biggest challenge in the early church was a failure on the part of many to actually live what they professed to believe. Makes sense, right? Do you think that doesn't happen today? I'd say not much has changed since the early church because God's words are timeless. We love to express our beliefs, the things that we know about God's Word, the doctrine, and it's much, much easier to express those beliefs to others as long as we don't have to live through them ourselves sometimes, right? It's interesting. Years ago, I heard from, a, I was listening to a successful business guy, and he was a, he was a man of faith, and he was talking about a, a particular weekend at his church. And he went to the pastor after the pastor preached, and he says, Pastor, um, I just need to know, uh, the message from today, do you really believe what you're preaching? He says, yeah, I believe it. He goes, no, 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 no. Pastor, I need to know, do you believe what you're preaching? Yeah, I believe it. Pastor, do you believe what you're preaching? Yeah, I believe it. And he says, then preach it like that, brother. Our lives preach. Our lives preach. When what we believe matches with how we live, that preaches. I am not the only person called to preach in this church. I do this role for a period of time each week. Our lives preach. Never underestimate that. How is your life preaching? Is this missing this? What do we need to do to get that corrected? God can help you if you let Him. And that's why trials come. God knows that we need this trial. Bink, trial, bink, trial, bink, trial. Ha, I'm there. And then what do we do? We mess it up and God, you know, this is, this, that's, that's the deal. That's just the deal, right? It's just like, I just want to pass up. Trial in and off we go. The problem in James is that they're spiritually immature. These Christians were not growing up. Things were not lining up. If you pull back the lens a little further on the overall book of James... These are the issues that James addresses. In James, all of chapter 1 is primarily impatience with difficulties. Impatience with difficulties is chapter 1. Chapter 2, talking but not living the truth. Talking but not living the truth is chapter 2. Chapter 3 is not controlling the tongue. Wow, that's changed over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, we've nailed that. We're so in control of our tongue since, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago when James wrote this. This is ugly, man, right? Chapter 4 is about fighting and coveting. Fighting with one another because they're coveting each other's stuff. That's changed. And chapter 5 is collecting material toys. Wow, what, a, what an appropriate book for today, yeah? One commentary pastor says this. He says, after 25 plus years of vocational ministry, I'm convinced that spiritual immaturity is the number one problem in our churches. 
God is looking for mature men and women to carry on His work and sometimes all He can find are children who cannot even get along with each other. A little harsh. It's true, oftentimes. Verse 2. Let's read verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. What's the key word do you think in verse 2? First word. Consider. Consider. For me. For me. And the main objective of this verse is we need a surrendered attitude. So we need a surrendered will in verse 4. We need a surrendered heart and mind in verse 3. And we need a surrendered attitude in verse 2. If we're going to surrender our lives and become spiritually mature. The word consider, some Bibles, I, I, don't, I think it's the NIV, it says count it all joy. Is that right? Some people have count it, right? It's an accounting term. That's why it uses the word count. Consider is an attitude. Your attitude can consider things one way or considered another. You can count it as this or you can count it as that. So consider means, um, sorry, it's, yeah, so it means to evaluate, right? So consider or to count is the financial term. It means to how are you going to evaluate this trial? How will you evaluate? And guess what determines our evaluation? Our values determine our evaluation. Interesting, right? So what we value in life will determine how we evaluate what's going on in our lives, right? Some people go through exact same scenarios and one person is just swimming with a smile and trusting in God and somebody else is down and out and in the trenches. How? Because of how they evaluate. What they value in life causes them to consider that trial differently. Because they know God's up to something, so they're going to let Him do what He's got to do. And so how we consider something is, is incredibly critical. For example, do we value comfort or character? Do we value comfort or character? What does God value? Comfort or character? Yeah. Do we value the physical or the spiritual? The physical or the spiritual? What does God value? The spiritual. Do we value the temporal or the eternal? The temporal or the eternal? What does God value? How much of our life is wrapped up in those first couple things? Our comfort, our material, and our present. Because to the degree that that resonates for you, we've got to switch some of our values, don't we? so that we can evaluate things differently, so that we can consider things differently, so that we can know that God's up to something and we can let Him do what He's got to do. It's powerful stuff. Look at verses, the end of verse 2. He says, well, verse 2, Consider the joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that, he doesn't say knowing that the trials produce endurance. He says knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In other words, he's equating trials with things that test your faith. Same thing, right? Count it a joy when you encounter trials, knowing that those trials or knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So you've got to understand what trials are and what trials are not. Let me help you. Your DVR fails to record your favorite TV show. Trial or no trial? <laughs> Somebody said trial. I might agree with you on a lesser day. It's not a trial. That doesn't test your faith, does it? Your TV show's not on. Does that test your faith, really? I hope not. You go to a restaurant with your wife and kids and they're out of french fries. Trial or no trial? Depends on if your kids are with you. I get it. It's not really a trial. I didn't know that you know, not having french fries or a baked potato is a, is a testing of your faith. I don't think so. 
You're out of work and you're struggling to get a job so you can pay your bills, take care of your family. That's a trial. That's real. You have family members that perhaps mistreat you and it brings a lot of pain. You don't understand why. It's a trial. Your marriage is a little dicey. You don't know how to fix it. It's a trial. You took the vows. You wanted it to go well. And it's not going well. Some trials are simply because we're human. Just because we're human. Life is frail and fickle and it falls apart and that's okay. But some are because we're believers. And the enemy loves to bring trials into our life to try to beat us down so that we won't consider it joy, so that we won't know what God can do with it and we don't let Him. But the key is not to ask why in a trial. The key is not to ask why, but to ask how. How, Lord, can I surrender in this trial? How do I need to surrender? How would you like me to get through this? We tend to ask why. And God says, ask how. The only way the Lord can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials. We can't learn patience and endurance by reading a book. We can't learn patience and endurance by listening to a sermon. You might, you might learn a little endurance listening to mine. I'll give you that. We can't learn patience and endurance by praying a certain prayer. Spiritual maturity is surrendering to God because I trust Him. Therefore, I need to surrender my will and let Him have His way. So I need to give God my cooperation and my consent. I need to surrender my heart and my mind and give God my time and His Word on my knees in prayer and under the direction of His Holy Spirit. And I need to surrender my attitude and really understand what is it that I value so that I can evaluate things differently. What do I value? How do we typically respond to somebody going through a trial? Does anybody have a magic formula? When somebody's really down and out, this is what I say to them. Anybody have that? Most of us don't, right? What if you quoted them James 1, verses 2 through 4? Is there anything wrong with that? It might seem a little harsh. could be very loving. Right? So I say to Dave, Dave's going through some stuff, potentially, right? You say, Dave, man, I love you. But I want you to consider it all joy, my brother, for the various trials you're going through because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So let endurance have its perfect results so that when it's all said and done, you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love you. I'll be praying for you. I don't know that I do it that. I mean, it might seem kind of harsh, right? But that's what, why, why is that there? Why is that scripture there? It's very practical. It's very practical. God loves us enough to do that. If you have a trial and you come to me, I, I just might quote James 1, 2 through 4 to you. We might talk more than that, but I'd probably just give that a try. It should be encouraging, not discouraging. Sometimes we don't want to hear that though, do we? But yet that's what God wrote to us. Those three words are important. How will we consider? What do we know? And will we let him have his way? James chapter 5, I'm going to read you five verses. James 5, chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. We're going to read that out of our Bibles, and then I'm going to share it out of the message, which is from Eugene Peterson, right? So I think it's a really interesting wording that, that uh, I love it. 
Anyway, let's read it out of our Bibles first. James 5, starting at verse 7. Therefore, be patient, church. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce. That's what awaits us, is precious produce. Being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You, too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, verse 10, brothers of suffering and patience. And so he gives us an example. You're not the only ones, James says. As an example of suffering and patience, let's take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count, we consider, we evaluate those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. God is by our side, even in the midst of the trial and the challenge. This is Eugene Peterson's from The Message. He says about verses 7 through 11 this way, and I love it. He says, Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the Master's arrival. You see, farmers do this all the time waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but steady work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The Master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you, and you know that. The judge is standing just around the corner. Take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit, all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares. Cares right down to the last detail. I just love that version of those verses from James chapter 5. My time is up. I'm going to pray. Art's going to come up and with the team and lead us in a closing song and then prayers available to your left, uh, to my left, your right. And uh, again, please keep Pastor Dave in your prayers, would you please? Let me pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for hearts that are willing to receive it. God, I pray that you would help us to consider like we've never considered before. Help us to know like we've never known before. And help us to let you like we've never let you before. So that we indeed can be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. How that must please you. And Lord, I hope and pray that we are all here because we desire to please you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.